So this morning we're finishing up our season of growing in Christ by looking at the topic, I have a helper. I don't know about you, I would have loved to have been one of the people around Jesus and one of the 12, the 72, the 120, the 500, to have been around Jesus, to hear Jesus teach, to hear Jesus speak, to see Jesus heal the sick, to see Jesus set the captives free. Um, I'd have liked to have gone on a treasure hunt with Jesus in the high street and see what Jesus would get up to and how Jesus would speak to people. But Jesus said these incredible words. He said to, to, to his friends, to the disciples and to, to those who were around him, he said, it's better that I go. It's better that I go because then I can send the friend or the helper or I can send uh, the one who comes alongside, the fortifier, the encourager, the comforter, the one who's going to lead you into all truth and teach you and remind you and empower you and make you a witness. So Jesus would have said to me if I was in that crowd, hey Jamie, it's actually better that I go. There's a, there's a person who's going to come alongside you and be with you wherever you go. Because while I'm here, I'm fully God, fully man, but I'm actually only present in one place. But when the Holy Spirit comes, God comes, Holy Spirit comes, he's going to be with you wherever you go. So to be a Christian, to uh, go to church, is so much more than uh, singing lively songs. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than just believing certain truths. It's actually about living a life that's full of God. That's what's on offer. It's actually a life that is energised and empowered by God himself. It's so much more than just understanding certain truths, certain doctrines, or undertaking certain practices like going to church. It's actually becoming God's address. Um, it's becoming uh, a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's knowing times that are full of God's energy, God's power, God's presence. It's a revelation of identity. It's a revelation of love. It's an invitation to intimacy with God. And it's an invitation to impact the world through the reality that God makes his home in our hearts. That Christianity is the announcement to the world. We have found something outstandingly phenomenal. We, we have found something so incredibly amazing. Or something incredibly amazing has found us. Yeah. That he found us and loved us. We are those on earth to make the world jealous. Amen. That's our job description. To be so full of the life of the age to come. That wherever we go, we overflow it. Mm. So they want to know where that perfect peace comes from. How do you love like you love? Where's that hope coming from? It's because Holy Spirit has come in our hearts. It's because we've been born again of the Spirit. It's because the old has gone and the new has come through Christ. And I want to talk about this morning about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about the promise that Jesus made that we can have the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit and the promise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want you to be convinced by an argument that's full in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is for you, that you can have the Holy Spirit, that you can have the friend, that you can have the paraclete, that you can have the helper, that you can come and know God in that way. The promise is for you. So I'm going to look at lots and lots of verses 
because we receive by faith and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith ignites asking, faith ignites thirsting. So Jesus said to those early disciples, he said, I don't want you to embark on the Great Commission yet until the Holy Spirit has come. So in Matthew 28, he tells them, all authority has been given to me. And I'm sending you to make disciples and to baptise people and to teach people everything I've taught you. But don't even start on the great mission of reaching Jerusalem. Don't even start on the great mission of reaching Samaria, that bit around Jerusalem. Don't even go to the ends of the earth yet until the Helper has come, until the Holy Spirit has come. So if you want to look in your Bibles in Acts uh, chapter 1, we read about Jesus saying, wait, don't embark on it yet, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And that's in Acts uh, chapter uh, 1 and verse 4. What I will do is, because there's lots of verses here and notes here, I'll put them on the blog later in the week. So if you go on to the CCK blog, you can then read all this and um, have this as a worksheet. So in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised in or with the Holy Spirit. Jesus placed a huge emphasis upon the Holy Spirit who would make his people witnesses. He would make his people able to demonstrate and reveal and point to the kingdom of God. Paul, the apostle, who became a Christian after persecuting the church, has a revelation of Jesus, suddenly sees Jesus um, on his way to Damascus. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians and throw them into prison. Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? Paul has an encounter with Jesus and he's converted. And Paul placed such an emphasis upon the Holy Spirit, the very, very first question he would ask any group of people is, have you received the Spirit? Before Paul is asking any other question, he wants to ask, have you received the Holy Spirit? It was his priority. And we can see that in Acts chapter 19, when he goes to Ephesus and meets some, um, some believers. He says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the friend? Has the comforter come alongside you? Have you been filled with an experiential encounter with God? Do you know Abba, God, as Abba? Is the Bible, is the scripture, are they coming alive to you? Are, are you being strengthened? Are you being encouraged? Are you got, have you got intimacy? Do you know your identity? His first question to every group of people he came to is, have you received the Holy Spirit? It wasn't a secondary thing for Paul. And Paul, in Ephesians 4, 18 um, Yet 5.18 says it's not a one-time event either. It's not just historically, I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit in around about 1987 and it was an amazing time of, of worship and it was an amazing encounter with God. 
but since then it's just been me gritting my teeth and getting by, Paul would say, no, go on being filled by the Holy Spirit. So he says in chapter 5 and uh, verse 18, he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine, because there's another drunkenness that you can have. You know, people drink to numb, to forget, to escape. And he's saying, no, no, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be uh, surprised if being filled with the Holy Spirit sometimes looks like drunkenness or foolishness. <coughs> Merriment. That's what the early church was uh, accused of. They're drunk. And then Peter stands up on, on Acts chapter 2 and says, no, we're not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> this is the promise that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And so it's go on being filled, present continuous tense, go on being filled, go on inviting Holy Spirit into every conversation, into every day at work, everything that every time you open up the Bible, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus says the Spirit will teach you and lead you and remind you, then inviting Holy Spirit every time you pray, every time you worship, every time you pick up the Bible is a good practice because there's a friend who's a genius and knows all about it. Sometimes we're, we're getting on with life without Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit's saying, I know about that, I know about that, I'm really good at that, I'm a genius at that. You want to know how to be a witness? I'm amazing at witnessing. I'm amazing at telling people about Jesus. You feel like you don't have any joy? I'm so joyful. Just get around me and I'll rub off on you. You don't have any peace? You're full of anxiety? Well, I don't know anything about anxiety, but I know a lot about peace. And so we invite him in to absolutely everything and walk with him and converse with him and talk with him. And so Jesus said, wait, this is really important. Don't go without Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And uh, tongues of fire, they spoke in other tongues. And there were flames on their head. There was an encounter with God. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Paul would always exhort people, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptised in the Holy Spirit? So when does this event happen then? Because a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a baptism in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily all happen at the moment of being saved and being converted. It doesn't all necessarily happen. You need a revelation of Jesus and what he achieved at the cross and an understanding. You need an awakening of your spirit that only the Holy Spirit can do to bring you alive to come to Jesus. But you don't necessarily get the Holy Spirit in the way that we're seeing described at Pentecost and in other verses, all in necessarily the same package. Now it can, but it doesn't necessarily have to happen that way. So for Cornelius, the first, uh, the, the, the first non-Jewish convert that we read about, he gets everything all at once. 
So we'll read about someone who gets everything all at once, and then we'll read about someone who got the Holy Spirit after they became a Christian, after they got converted. So in Acts 10, verse 45. So this is an interesting story. It's a Roman centurion who had a love for the, for the God of the Jews and was generous. And he has an encounter with God where he is told to go and ask for a man called Peter, who lives in Joppa, to come to his house to explain about Jesus. Cut to Peter in Joppa. He's hungry. Falls into a Holy Spirit trance. Has a conversation with God in the trance where God says to him, don't call anything unclean that I call clean. He sees food coming down and God says, don't call any of this unclean that I call clean. Then there's a knock at the door and the people from Cornelius' house are saying, come and explain about Jesus to us. So Peter has just heard, don't call anything unclean that I call clean. Suddenly there's a Gentile at the door that Jews would have called unclean, asking him to come. So Peter goes and he explains about Jesus. And then in Acts 10, 45, while Peter was still speaking these words, Holy Spirit interrupts the preach. (laughs) While... Peter was still speaking these words. The Holy Spirit came on all, all, all who heard the message. It's all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. They were astonished. They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So, you know Jewish rules. There were certain practices and things you had to do to be right with God. And one of those was circumcision, to be marked out as the covenant people. These were Gentiles. These were people outside the promises, outside the history, outside the covenants. These were people who had not got themselves ready, done anything perfected themselves, they're listening, they get baptised in the Holy Spirit. They receive the whole thing, they hear about Jesus, they get the Holy Spirit all at once. That's what happened to me. I got baptised in the Holy Spirit before I'd actually said yes to Jesus. I don't know how that works out. I hadn't even decided I wanted to follow him. (laughs) He, He broke in on my life on a Sunday evening in 1987 while I was listening to Yonggi Cho speak about Ask God for a Red Bike. I, I, it wasn't about, I wasn't hearing a great revelation about the gospel, I was just hearing about God and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Two days later, or two weeks later, I said yes to Jesus. Although, obviously, he'd already said yes to me. <laughs> and I was just responding to him. So for Cornelius, it's all in the package. Sometimes it can be a separate event after coming to Christ. So in Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, the Samaritans were clearly converted. They had been baptised. They had repented. They would changed their mind about who Jesus is and had come to Christ and faith. But they hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. 
And you can see what emphasis the early church placed on the Spirit. So it says in Acts 14, so Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So Cornelius gets it all at once. Holy Spirit interrupts the presentation about Jesus. The Samaritans who clearly believed had come to Christ and been baptised in water hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. It was something to come. And we also see that in the conversion of the Apostle Paul himself in chapter 9 and verse 17. Like I said, he'd got converted on his way to Damascus. He'd had a revelation of Jesus. He'd been blinded. And then it says in, uh, and he'd come to Christ. And then it says in 9.17, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. That was Paul's name before He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may again again see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised. So you can see a whole different order there. Revelation of Jesus. Sometime later, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Sometime later, baptism in water. Can you see how there, there is not this formula? It can happen in all these different orders. I got baptised in the Spirit, I came to Jesus, then I got baptised in water. So there's not a set pattern and rule, it's just a priority. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Amen. Have you had the Holy Spirit encounter you? Amen. In Acts chapter 2, this is where we get this is where it applies to you and me. So the Holy Spirit has come, there's been Pentecost, and then Peter, in his preach, says this in Acts chapter 2, and verse 38. He says, Peter replied, repent, which is change your mind, and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, that's the people who are listening, it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, it's all the nations, and all whom the Lord our God will call, and all who the Lord our God will call. So it's for you, your children, it's for other nations, and it's for all the Lord your God will call. So you have a promise from God. Because you are included in the all the Lord your God will call. If you've come to Jesus, you've got faith in Christ, you know you've been born again, but you know you've not had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, you have a promise from God that you are included in the promise. You are part of the all. You are part of the all. The promise is for you. The promise is for you. You are included. And some people say, well, that's a great promise, but I don't feel worthy enough. I don't feel worthy enough. I feel like I've got to sort my life out a bit more, and I've got to be more uh, perfect or ready and holy enough to be 
filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Peter doesn't say that and Jesus doesn't say that. He says, is anybody thirsty? Mm. Not if anyone is holy or anybody is ready. (laughs) Are you thirsty? Some people say, well, well, maybe God's not ready for me. God knows where I live and knows where I am. I'm happy getting on with my life. If Holy Spirit wants to meet with me, or if Holy Spirit wants to give me a particular gift, he knows where I am. And so it's an accessible gift. It's to simply ask the Good Father for the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 11 and verse 11. So we've got the promise that Peter says it's for all, And then we've got what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in Luke 11 and verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So you've got a promise, it's for you, and you've got a, um, a way of getting it, you ask for it. But it's guaranteed you can have it. Amen. Okay, It's guaranteed you can have it, absolutely. Absolutely. There are things in the Bible where you can just stand there and say, absolutely. Absolutely. You put your faith in Jesus, you're absolutely going to be totally cleansed, get a new heart. You're absolutely going to be made righteous. You have a promise from God. You want the Holy Spirit? You want to be filled again and again and again and again and again by the Holy Spirit? Well, you can have it. You only need to ask. So what can we expect then from the Holy Spirit? We can expect power. We can expect the capacity to prophesy. We can expect visions, trances, dreams, boldness, filled with joy. We can expect love poured into our hearts, a deeper assurance of adoption, of God saying to us, our spirit knowing that God is Abba, Papa, intimacy, identity. We can expect miracles to be done through us. We can expect signs and wonders. Okay, we can expect all the times, all the things that we read about in the book of Acts. And there are because you have a promise and because you can have it by simply asking. It's interesting that both in the New Testament and often in experience, the first sign or the first manifestation of baptism in the Holy Spirit was the gift of tongues. Now what I would say is, my personal conviction is, it is possible to be it is possible to be baptised in the Holy Spirit and not necessarily speak in tongues. Um, it just seems that in practice and in New Testament um, testimony that we have, that speaking in tongues was often the first gift that people received. So you can see that in Acts 19, they got baptised in the Holy Spirit, I believe, and they spoke in tongues. Let's read that verse. But we read that in as well in the Samaritans. Yeah, so it says, Paul then, uh, he he says, on hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. So often it was linked that baptism in the Holy Spirit 
and the gift of tongues were the first things that go together. But I have met many people who never ever received the gift of tongues, who were clearly baptised in the Spirit, who operated in all the other gifts. They just had not received that gift. But my personal conviction is, if he's giving it away, I want it. If he's got it on offer, I'm having it. And that's how I received the gift. I just went to my room and got it, personally. I had no church background. I had no history. I just heard there was a gift. I went in my room and got it straight away. Other people, it's a different journey, and they have to work through some theological thoughts first. But it's an amazing gift, because it's a supernatural gift, and it's an amazing gift of a language that frees the person from the limitations of your native language, whether it's English, French, or whatever language you speak. It's an amazing gift, and it's the only one of the gifts of the Spirit that is purely for the strength and the edification and the personal enjoyment of the believer. Apart from when it's a public tongue, which needs an interpretation so people get the burden of it and understand what God's talking about. But it's the only gift that is given in that sense that is purely for our own strengthening, building up and edification. And it's an amazing, an amazing gift. It's the capacity to speak heart to heart to God and deep to deep to God. The gift of tongues is is something that the person is fully in control of. Um, It's just like human natural language. The gift of tongues is the ability to speak according to us with a spiritual language. Or Paul says somewhere, sometimes the the tongues of angels and sometimes it can be um, tongues or languages that we've not heard. Or, 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 or learnt, but the speaker is in absolute full control of the ability to start speaking and stop speaking. It's actually you who speak in tongues, and it's not God. You're in control of your own voice box. It's you starting to speak, it's you stopping to speak. Some, speaking is something we do, we project speech. And sometimes we're, we want to receive the gift of tongues with our mouth open and we're waiting for God to take over our voice box and speak through us. But actually we have to start speaking and go with those first um, phrases that bubble around our head and start pouring out the little that we have and start projecting speech. The language is what God gives. And so how I received the gift of tongues, I heard that there was this spiritual language I went to my room, I said I would like this spiritual language, I felt a couple of phrases bubble up in my head and I spoke them out. And the rest is what God gave. A great illustration of how the gift of tongues flows is, although this Old Testament story in 1 Kings 17, 16 isn't about the gift of tongues, it is about pouring out the little that you have. Uh, It's a time of famine and Elijah goes to a widow's house and says to her, will you make me bread? And she says, actually, I can't make you bread because we've only got a little bit left, a little, little oil, a little bit of flour, and we're about to eat this and die. And Elijah says, no, no, make, it, make this for us, and we promise you, I promise you that God will never allow the oil to stop flowing. So she's only got a little bit of oil in a jar, just enough to make one piece of bread, just one cake. And, and, and he says, no, it will never stop pouring. And the miracle... 
The miracle wasn't so much that it poured, the miracle was that it never stopped pouring until the famine was over, until the drought was over. That was the miracle, that as she poured, it kept on pouring. It kept on going over the lip. There was a step of faith for her. She had to begin to start pouring. Mm. And then the miracle was that in her obedience of pouring, God caused the oil never to run out, to never run dry. That was the miracle. And that's the same with tongues. The moment of obedience and risk is I'm going to start to speak these words that sound like gibberish. And, but I know that if I ask for the Holy Spirit and I ask a gift like that, he's good. Like if a father asks, a child asks a father for a fish, he's not going to be given a scorpion or ask for bread, he's not going to be given a stone. So if I'm coming to the good father and asking for a spiritual language and I start to feel a few phrases bubble up, I know it's a good gift from a good father, so I'm going to pour them out. And the miracle is, as it goes over the lip, as it were, of your lips, it just doesn't run out. And it keeps growing and, and going on and it, it gets nuanced and God adds languages to, to it. You can ask him to give new languages. You can ask for new phrases. You can ask for new encounters in, with the gift of tongues. And so we start with the little we've got and we pour it out and we open our mouth and speak. It's like Peter getting out of the boat. The miracle was that as he stepped onto the water, it could support his weight. But he doesn't know if it can until he does the miracle, as it were, and steps out. And often that's how all the gifts operate, because they're gifts of faith. And we don't know yet what they're going to do until we begin to pour them out. So to finish then, I want to talk about three things then as we prepare to receive. First of all, it's faith. Do you remember the promise is for you? Acts 2, 38, 39. The promise is for you. It starts by believing that the promise is for you. If you conclude that the promise isn't for you, and you just think, oh, come, let someone pray for me and impress me. But I don't think the There's faith. There's got to be active faith. Somewhere there's active faith. For Cornelius, even though he got the whole thing before he understood anything, he, there was faith. He had gone and asked. He'd responded. And gone and got Peter from Joppa, as we read in that story. There was... Uh, faith somewhere it's that faith of saying I believe you want to give me the Holy Spirit I believe that when I ask I will receive the Holy Spirit I, 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 I invite you expectation is God's invitation so if you believe that the promise is for you then you just come and ask it's not something you have to feel ready to get it's a gift of grace there is nothing you need to do, there is nothing you need to perform, there is nothing you need to do to earn the gift. It's a gift. Gift. That's what a gift is, isn't it? I've got this for you, there's nothing you need to do to receive it. Cornelius did not have to wait for maturity. Remember the story? He just received the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 9 and verse 4, they were dripping wet. <laughs> and so they had not really understood yet that you got baptised um, by faith in Jesus. They'd only heard about John's baptism. And then in Acts chapter 19, Paul explains them about Jesus. He explains to them about what Jesus came to do, that he's the Son of God, and through his life, his death, and his resurrection, he can cancel out all your sins. He can bring you to reconcile to the Father. And so then they get baptised into Jesus. And then it says they received the Holy Spirit. So it says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, 
and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. These are guys who are dripping wet, as it were, in the baptism pool, in the river. They've not done anything yet. They've just heard about Jesus and they've got the whole deal. So for Cornelius, he didn't have to get himself ready. The, the, the Ephesians, they were dripping wet. They'd just been baptised. They'd not done anything. For Paul, the apostle, he just received the Holy Spirit a few days after coming to Jesus. So this guy had gone around murdering Christians. Yeah, This guy had gone around throwing Christians in prison. He has an encounter with Jesus, gets completely wonderfully saved, gets completely made holy and righteous and perfect in a moment, and then he receives the Holy Spirit. God didn't say to him, I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit in five years' time when you prove that your conversion is genuine and you seriously don't do that throwing Christians into prison thing that you've been doing and you show by seriousness that you follow me. Now, he didn't have to get himself um, sanctified and sorted. He just received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 7.37, he said, if, if you thirst... So this is... If you look at John 7, 37. There's a feast and Jesus stands up and he says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who was thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant... The Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And so the Holy Spirit hadn't yet come because Jesus hadn't yet gone to the cross and Jesus hadn't yet ascended and Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. They needed, Jesus needed to do the atonement. He needed to pay for people's sins. He needed to go to the cross and die in our place. So he said the Holy Spirit wasn't poured out then, but as soon as Jesus has gone to heaven and is glorified, the promise of the Father comes. So the promise is now active and available because Jesus has lived, Jesus has died, Jesus has risen again, Jesus has ascended. The gift of the Holy Spirit is now available for all flesh, is what the prophet Joel spoke about and what Peter said at Pentecost was fulfilled on that day. So Jesus didn't say in those verses, if anyone is holy, and he didn't say, if anyone deserves this, and he didn't say, if anyone's impressive, rivers of living water will be given to them. (laughs) Rather, he said, is anyone thirsty? Is anyone thirsty for this? Is anyone having a sense of hungering and thirsting? Thirsting is the only qualification. And sometimes first can simply be, I've heard there's a promise and I want it. It's not that we have to whip ourselves up and qualify through some kind of activity. It's just I've heard there's a promise and I would like it. So you've got to have faith. You've got to believe the promise is for you. You want to thirst for it. And the last one is you need to ask for it. And we've already looked at this once, but it's good to read again in Luke 11, 9 to 13. Luke 11, 9-13. That's in the book of John. <laughs> That's why I couldn't find it. 
Luke 11. Luke 11, 9 to 13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so often in, in, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit was received through the laying on of hands. And we saw that a lot in the verses that we looked at. Whether it's laying on of hands or you just going in the room on your own, it's always coming to Jesus. And it's always coming with faith. It's always coming thirsting. And it's always coming asking. It's coming to him and drinking and receiving. It's coming to him and asking. 